0: How's it going, everybody? Kyle with Dirt Bike Channel here. This is the Dirt Bike Channel podcast. You have you're listening to it. This podcast is. I gotta apologize. It's been a it's been a little while. We had a uh, family trip. My wife Karen and I and the kids. We went on a bus trip, a cross country bus trip here over the last couple of weeks. My dad has an old 1977 MCI MC8 bus with a Detroit diesel 8 v 71 That's a two-stroke, by the way. I'll have you know. Two-stroke diesel, of course. How, uh, here's a question I have for you guys. Who, who do you know that would climb into a vehicle that is 40, 44 years old and go across country? Yeah. With your entire family. Now that did actually happen and we did make it back. That bus, that old MCI MC8 crusader. She, uh, she carried us well. So we got back. Um, <clears throat> but I, uh, YouTube would never know I was gone cause I worked my guts out to get out enough content so that videos would come out every three days or something. But the podcast, the podcast, they did not come out. They did not come out. And that's where we are right here is on the podcast, and um, I was going through some of the notes of different things that I could put out for you guys, um, for everyone here, and I just, I just had this thing pop into my head, which I listen to a lot of different podcasts. Um, a lot of them are not dirt bike related. In fact, most of them have nothing to do with dirt bikes. The podcasts that I listen to, <clears throat> and something that happens often on these podcasts that I'm subscribed to is they're like, "Hey, here's a rebroadcast of this episode we did." you know, two, three years ago or five years ago or whatever. And I still find myself listening to them, especially if it's an interesting topic, because even if I have heard it, it might've been a couple years ago. And I'm like, oh yeah, that was really good. Um, So I want to do the same thing here today. I wanted to take one of the most popular episodes that I've ever done on dirt bike channel and just put it out again here. It was the interview with uh, the president of beta USA, Tim Pilge. Uh, We did this. I recorded this in November of 2019 seems like a long time ago. It was before the whole pandemic thing happened. Um, but, uh, I, and have had so many good responses back from this podcast over the years. Uh, people that email me, I guess years, I guess it's been about a year and a half. Uh, people have emailed me on this thing. Um, and just said that they gained, you know, gained a lot of respect for Tim. Um, we had audio levels kind of down on this. And so I went through and I bumped some audio here and I bumped some audio there. It isn't the best audio quality on a phone call that I've ever done. Um, but it is very good content. And Tim goes through and kind of explains a lot of different things about what beta is doing, how they're growing their brand. And I think it's all still relevant today. And since it was one, it's one of the highest grossing podcasts or downloader podcasts that I've ever done. Um, I don't track the stats too much on these things, but I know it was a pretty popular one. So I thought I'd rebroadcast that for everybody and, uh, let you listen to Tim again. If you have, um, if you have ideas for this podcast, send them to me, Kyle at dirtbikechannel.com. Um, I'll always take those, uh, and at least put them down, you know, on the list that I'm looking at right here on my computer. Um, other things are, Hey, if you haven't entered the sweepstakes that I'm doing right now, if you're listening to this podcast before June 20th of this year, go ahead and and uh, make sure that you enter. Um, go to dirtbikechannel.com and get entered to win the three motorcycles I'm giving away. This time I've got uh, a KTM, a Kawasaki, and then a KTM street bike. Of course, of course, no purchases necessary. View official rules on my website, dirtbikechannel.com. But that's what's going on. So without further ado, let's get back into this phone call on this interview with the president of Beta USA, Tim Pilge. Hello, it's
1: Tim. Can
0: I help you? Hey, Tim. Kyle Brotherson here. How are you?
1: I'm good, Kyle. How
0: are you? I'm good. I'm good. Is this still an okay time to chat? Yes, yeah, yes, sir. So, just a little bit of background, Tim. I don't. We we haven't met before. We've talked over the last uh, several years, though. Tim Pilg, you're the president of Beta USA. I've got that right, don't I?
1: Yes, yes, sir.
0: Tim Pilg. Oh, Tim Pilg. Should,
1: Should have a knee on the end. No, that's okay. Sorry, i first... I've been called. I've been called worse, Kyle. <laughs> oh,
0: dang it, Tim Pilg. Sorry about that. I. It's the first time we've talked, so I hadn't. I hadn't had anyone uh, give me the. The pronunciation for your name there, so
1: yeah, it's a, it should have a J like Tilt. Just you know, it's, it's what it's supposed to have, but uh, yeah, like I said, I've been called worse. No worries.
0: <laughs> very good, very good. Well, the listeners out there, um, just to kind of give a recap of the bikes that I've had because this has been my association with your company. I've had a 2017. Well, you guys were <laughs> awesome. You lent me a 2017 Beta 300 RR. Uh, that bike was awesome, and then earlier this year in 20. I guess the year we're in 2019, it was a 2019 beta 390 RR race edition. I have gone down saying that was my favorite four stroke bike of all time. So far, I loved that bike, love the forks. The motor just did. It just did something for me. The whole bike was just so confidence inspiring. And then, uh, we follow that up with this 2020 beta 200 RR and that thing has surprised me. It's so well balanced. It's so the motor just has this kind of, playful nature to it yet a torquey nature to it and i've been ecstatic and then just this last week one week ago i finally wrote a check for my first beta so the three the first three betas that um that i tested or or have been testing were loan loaners from you essentially and then this week i went ahead and i picked up and bought the 2020 beta 300 rr race edition haven't ridden it yet but i can tell you the the styling is on point so you're you know the The guys over there, um, working hard behind the scenes are doing a really bang up job on, on that stuff. So I just wanted to thank you for giving me the opportunity on those other bikes and you guys are doing a fantastic job on these things.
1: Oh, thank you. And likewise, uh, thank you for taking the time and, uh, testing our bikes and, you know, we call it beta love, you know, you're giving us beta love, whether it's good or bad, it doesn't really matter as long as we get some love, (laughs) you know, our engineers are quite special and, um, you know, it's just, uh. The 390, you're discovering what many have. It's just the uh, the bikes are quite
0: special. Yeah, and there's there's just something different about them. And you know, because I've owned a number of 350s in the past, and I've ridden a lot of different bikes. And the fun thing about that 390 is it just it did things a little differently. It had a little bit different personality, and it didn't feel like it was trying to tear your head off. And it didn't feel like it was so high strung. And yet it would just go fast. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't like the fastest thing in the fastest bike in a drag race that I've ever seen, but I never showed that to anyone because it doesn't matter. We're not drag racing these bikes. What we need them to do in the off-road world and in the trail world is to give us confidence and be able to, you know, handle obstacles and handle bumps and handle, you know, different things that come up in the trail and not upset the chassis, not upset the bike and not upset the rider and, and give you the confidence that you need to carry the lines that you, that come naturally to you. And that was the thing that was just so fun about that bike is you forget that you're on a bike and you're just, you know, you're just, you're just gelling with it. And that was the best thing about that one. Um, so yeah, I, I wanted to get all obviously though, your story here. So I, I've got a, a number of questions here that we'll kind of run through. Um, but I, I wondered if you could kind of tell the listeners your dirt bike Genesis story, you know, how you got started in dirt bikes, how old were you? What sort of bikes uh, were you on? I think we'd be really interested in hearing about that.
1: Oh, sure. Great. Thanks for asking. So basically, um, I started, uh, I raced BMX as a kid, and then I had um, got introduced to motorcycling at a young age through some friends of mine, some twins. I grew up the with the Moroni Brothers. Their dad bought them a little XR75, and I rode that thing and was hooked. I uh, remember they had to share it, so between three of us, we had to share this little XR75, which was kind of hilarious. So, um my dad had passed away when I was uh, young, and I was only nine years old, and I was one of those ADHD kids, you know, and uh, my mom didn't put me on any medicine, so I was just wide open all the time. So she, said uh, you know, she's trying to figure something out to do with me, so she, she bought me a dirt bike and helped me. I had jobs when I was younger, and helped me buy a, my first bike was a Hodaka Super Combat 125. Cool. <laughs> and ultimately, that today I attribute to being a motorcycle mechanic <laughs> because she basically said, you know, I, you're going to have to keep the thing running. So I would just, uh, I'd ride all the time that bike. And that was back in, you know, that was in the 70s, um, 53. So it, it's, uh, that's what got me started. And then uh, I worked at a grocery store when I was 15, 14 or 15. And I always hung out at our local Mako uh, shop. And the owner there asked me if I wanted to work there. I couldn't believe it. I was like, you want to pay me to work at a motorcycle shop? I mean, really? Yeah. So that's I, that was when I was 15. I started working uh, at a place called Phil's Mako. And then I immediately started riding Makos. I got involved with motocross when I was 16 and started racing motocross. Um, and did that for a number of years while working at the shop. And then uh, I got into trials later on. I got hooked on trials. I I tried a trials bike, and then I rode a trials event. Boy, that was it. I just got hooked on trials for a number of years. So I rode some nationals and um, still competed in motocross at the same time and then rode a little bit of off-road, quite a bit of off-road back at that time as well. And, um, And had a dealership of my own starting in 1989. I started a dealership, it was a Polaris dealership, and then I picked up Yamaha, and then Suzuki, KTM, um, and so I had uh, and Polaris, Yamaha, Suzuki, um, and KTM, but I wrote a Beta back in the day when I wrote Trials, that's how, how I was familiar with Beta, and then after about 20 years in the retail business, I, I was kind of poking around, searching for, um, I wanted to get into distribution. Um, so ultimately, um, I dabbled with a few different companies, um, not really getting too involved, but then I got, uh, in, uh, sent a fax over to Beta, um, just asking them. I knew they started building enduro bikes. This was late 2005, early 2006. They got back into the enduro business. And ironically, they had a person here doing some consulting for them. And he, they said, Hey, we have somebody there he's going to come pay you a visit. That's kind of how that worked out. The timing was perfect. I was ready to kind of get out of the retail business and get involved with distributors. So I started the company, um, which was American Beta, back in 2006, and just started basically worked on the bikes a couple of years to get them here, and uh, ultimately uh, um, grew that into Beta USA, which is now owned by uh, my Italian counterpart. Uh, But ultimately, uh, yeah, that's about it in a nutshell. I just, uh, I live, eat, sleep motorcycles. I have my whole entire
0: life. That is so cool. And that's one of the things I love about talking to people in this industry is, excuse me, for the most part, uh, people that are deep in the industry like you are, have had a passion for motorcycles from an early age and they couldn't really shake it. And it sounds like that, uh, you know, that started with you. It started on BMX and then started running the 125s at a young age and then, you know, working at a Mako shop, racing motocross, getting uh, hooked on trials and and off road riding, and then you you know had your hand in a dealership, and uh, that's 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 amazing. I think and and to me that means something. It means something that the companies that are producing bikes or trying to sell the bikes or distribute the bikes, it means that they care, they get it because they're they're into this sport just as much as the rest of us and trying to push it forward. So that that's fun to hear. So thanks for sharing that. Well,
1: okay. For sure, yeah. We've, uh, you know, our customers. I, I deal with all the, I handle all the incoming emails um, in our business still to this day because I want to know what our customers are. You know, I want to hear their stories, what problems they're having, what fun they're having, everything. You know, it's just, it's really important. Uh, but yeah, it's a, uh, it's a great. Um, I encourage younger, the younger generation to get involved with it because. Uh, you know, you you'll get good at it. You can make a good living at it. You'll get good in the motorcycle business. There's not a ton of of um, people out there diving into it, but boy, it's been extremely rewarding. And, and all my my good friends that are that I'm close to that have been in the industry, it's the same same story. You know, they're just dedicated to the business. They love it. You know, it's 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 a job, but it's not really a job. It's hard work. Uh, I think as people ask me all the time, who's your competition? KTM? I say, no, we are. <laughs> you know, I mean, basically, we're we're our own competition. We just have to do our job well and make sure we do things right. The industry itself is already there. Um, we just have to take care of the customers, and we have phenomenal engineering team, and you know, so it's uh, a great uh, it's a great. Uh,
0: Yeah, no. Can we get a little bit more background? Because you mentioned you you had a couple of tidbits in there. You said that you kind of started American Beta in 2006, and that has evolved into Beta USA now, that is owned by maybe corporate Beta in Italy. Can you give us a a brief history of Beta motorcycles, um, kind of at a high 40,000 foot? Uh, view? I mean, because I get a lot of questions people asking me, is that just a trials bike company? When did they start producing the modern off-road dirt bike? And I know you mentioned that briefly, but just give us the 40,000-foot overview of beta, of beta Motorcycles from your standpoint.
1: For sure. It's a phenomenal story, actually. Um, started in the early 1900s, 1904, 1905. Uh, two gentlemen, Enzo uh, Bianchi or Rigiro Tosi, that's where the name Beta comes from, those two gentlemen. Enzo Bianchi is the grandfather of the owner of Beta today, Lapo Bianchi, who is my boss. And uh, he's uh, he's about roughly my age. So ultimately, Beta started building bicycles back then and until the 50s. Um, and then they got into motorcycle production, and they continued motorcycle production. Uh, Lapo's father, uh, Giuseppe, took the company over from Enzo and then um, took it to... They, they got into motocross. They built the full motocross range. They built Enduros. This was back in the 70s when motocross took off. And then um, what happened um, in the early 80s is, is late 70s to early 80s, a lot of the Japanese bikes, of course, were steamrolling over the, the European brands. You know, yeah. the Old Taco, Osa, you, you know, all the, all the big European brands including Mako, and, and Beta chose to dabble into trials in the mid-'80s there, and that, that really helped the company survive. So they, they focused on trials. They got out of motocross and enduro at that time, which was, was hindsight, was the best thing they could have ever done. You know, because they probably wouldn't be around today. It would be tougher than to be around if they would have fought the Japanese in that period, um, just because of certain labor you know, there were labor issues back then with the European Union and just different things that the company struggled with. So then Beta continued to push on. And then in 2005, uh, Lapo made the decision uh, back to, actually earlier in that to develop an enduro bike again and get involved with the enduro business. But Beta is, um, I you know, I've dealt with many motorcycle corporations. Um, and we're not a corporation uh, Beta is a true family-run business. It's the same family since 1904. It's the, you know, it's the grandson of the original founder, who is as passionate, if not more passionate, than the original founder. Um, he's a phenomenal guy to work for. Uh, extremely honest in the way he does business. We pass that on through to the U.S. business. But um, you know, working, working round the clock. And he he uh, works very hard with his engineering team to provide a a product that we we don't worry about market share, we don't worry about rushing a product to the market. Um, we don't have to because we have we don't have any investors. So it's a it's a good a good uh, business plan for us. You know we we have all the technology that the other manufacturers have. Uh, we build all our own engines in house including the raw machining of the engines the cylinder heads everything we do all that in-house and ultimately it's just it's a company that has survived through uh, many ups and downs you know they're still based out of Florence Italy our factory is located uh, just about 20 miles out of, out of Florence uh, and uh, yeah we just a phenomenal company you know we've, we've uh, They've really flourished at different times. The trials business is still good for us because the bikes are super dependable. You know, we're, we're kind of what I tell people—we're kind of the Honda of the trials business. You know, it's just the the mainstream trials bike for sure.
0: That's so cool. Now, I'd I'd heard kind of some of the the um, the things about this being a family company and them having a great interest in the product that be that is delivered to the consumers. So one question that I was thinking about while I was going over some of the things we could talk about is how does, the, and, and you've got a really unique position to, to talk about this because you've had so much of inter, so much interactions with these other, you know, motorcycle companies. And you just mentioned that, you know, Beta isn't a corporation like these others. It's a family run business. So can you talk a little bit about how, you know, Beta being a family run company, um, how does that uh, affect the end product? You know, versus just like a, a corporation that has to turn a has to you know has to prove something to the investors and, and prove something to to the rest of the world. With this being a family-run company and them being vested in that process, how does that change things for you?
1: Well, I think overall for the for Beta as a company, it, it allows us to be a little bit more free in our design, and also because um, we, we don't have as many mouths to feed, so to speak as far as investors, and we don't have to show uh, anything on paper as far as growth. You know, I've always said business is like a balloon. You know, you sometimes you air it up, and sometimes you got to let air out. You know, or, or you know what happens if you continue to grow year after year after year, the balloon will pop. Yeah. And I think um, the other companies, which I think they all do a good job. I'm one of those guys, hey, look, all, all, all these motorcycles are good. Let's face it, they're all good. Um, with today's technology and engineering, they're all, they're all pretty darn good products. But from Beta standpoint, in fact, my friends will ask me, you know, why, why would I buy a Beta? I said, well, they're good bikes, but more importantly, they're just a really, really good company. You know, the company itself has got deep roots, and the way they do business overall is uh, more simple. You know, we can do things more simple. We don't have as much red tape to cut through with our dealers. We have a very simple dealer approach. Uh, our dealers, uh, we have no flooring, for example, for our dealers. Our dealers all pay cash for their bikes. Um, So, so basically, everything is paid for. And ultimately, um, that way we know where we stand all the time. You know, we always, as a company, we know where we stand. We don't have um, financing and, and huge debt and interest payments and all that stuff. So, ultimately, the company can run a little bit leaner and, um, we just have to you know build the right products and make sure everybody's happy that's why i say we're our own competition you know but as far as a corporations side i think it's it's let's face it it revolves around growth all the time you know so i think that's probably obviously we like to grow a little bit um, at a time but we want to be careful uh, we run out of models certain times of the year and pros and cons but ultimately for us i think in a nutshell we're we're able to do things a little more freely you know not, not as much uh not as much paperwork to plow through to get a project done
0: yeah so tell me do do the uh does the beta fam the ownership the family ownership do they actually ride bikes and help in the in the uh testing of these things and give input in that as well
1: oh absolutely it's it's mr bianchi i mean he he works every day with day hands-on with his engineers. And um, he is very keen on um, how the bike feels so that he, he puts the final proof on every bike. And our engineers work very hard. The number one goal of this company is exactly what, you're, what you found out when you rode the bike. You said, it feels different. It feels like you're not even really riding. The, the goal is to produce a product that gives you an experience when you get off the bike like no other bike, and I think that they've achieved that in many ways, um, and that's through it's you know it's what we call beta magic. Like I was saying, it's uh, it's beta magic, and it's you know we have some guys that know a lot of things about balance and trials in the, in the trials development world, and we transfer that over to our bikes, and you know because a trials bike you can you can enlarge in the crank have you know, three millimeters, and it makes a huge difference in the way the bike feels. You know, so there's there's many different things that, that our engineers will do, and they work directly with the owner, with Mr. Bianchi, and to create these products. We have a test track right outside our factory, and when you're there, like when I'm there for business meetings, all day long, Kyle, there's bikes ripping around out there, and they come in, and they fiddle, and they go back out, and they come back in and all day long. So they are just basically working on improvements and enhancements to give the rider a feeling so when they ride the bike, that's where the term rideability came from. That basically came from our owners and the press telling us the same thing, you know, hey, I rode this thing, and it's just easier to ride than my my other bike. You know, so that's kind of the tagline that we picked up and we're kind of run with it on our advertising because it's true, you know.
0: Yeah, no, I've, I've definitely found that to be the case. That that kind of brings me, uh, kind of pops something else, uh, something else into my mind. You talking about riders going around right outside the factory and doing R&D. So with the company being Italian, um, is most of the R&D, the research and development happening there in Italy, or is some of that also happening in the United States? How does that uh, play out?
1: All of it happens in Italy. Okay. So basically everything is done in-house. We, now in USA, we, um, we have made changes on the motorcycles. Uh, for example, I mean, the cross trainer has, has a lot to do with the U S with our input, uh, from day one, um, creating a, originally it was going to be a trial bike engine in a enduro chassis. We thought, you know, I'd push the factory to, to get that going back in 2006. I and mean, then back in 2007, I actually rode a pre-production bike. They built with a four stroke Evo trial bike in it. Um, in an enduro chassis, and the thing was just zero fun whatsoever. <laughs> it just was not fun. had no fun factor. So basically, then when they start developing the two-stroke engine, then they kind of tied that in, and we named it a cross trainer, and it's been just a great success story. But we have, like, mainly me coming from a mechanical background, um, we have a lot of input on updates and changes to make things better in the bikes. But I rely on them mostly for everything. Um, because they're really good at what they do. And we can give suggestions, certain things here and there. Um, and, and we develop some bikes for the U.S. only, like our RRS, our dual sport. That's kind of a U.S. only bike. I think they're selling a few in Canada now. But that was designed just for the U.S. So those things there, we had to provide all the specs and everything. And they work with us on that. Um, but for the most part, honestly, um, we rely on the engineers to develop the products and what have you. That's cool. The, the 200 was definitely a result of me pushing for a 200. <laughs> um, you know, I, I mean, I rode a KTM 200 in '03 and '04 and raced it. You know, I was a dealer back then, and I, I love that bike. You know, and um, then when we came out with the 125 platform, I'm like, hey, perfect. Let's let's build a 200. You know, it's a, it's a no brainer. You know. So. I
0: love I love that. In fact, I get people emailing me all the time now, and they're you know sometimes they will be saying I, I'm thinking about a KTM 150 or the Beta 200. And now that I've had time on the Beta 200, this is an easy easy answer for me. And it's a, and I've been saying get the Beta 200. The Beta 200 does everything that the KTM 125 does, except it does it just a little bit better because the motor is better. It's a more usable power. It's it's a more you know, just versatile motor in my opinion. And so I, I love that. And that, that brings me to maybe another question, this whole rideability tagline, it's kind of cool that you mentioned that, um, it was sort of adopted by beta because the media and the people, you know, critiquing these bikes and stuff, maybe the magazines, they kind of almost invented that tagline for beta. So with it being rideability now, what does that mean to you as a company rideability and who is your who is your target customer your target demographic who are you making these bikes
1: for well for the most part i mean our our age demographics pretty spread i mean we have guys that are 78 79 years old riding our bikes and then we have 25 year old kids riding our bikes but for the most part it's it's more of the excuse me it's the more appreciative off road rider the person that wants a quality product um, that the not the the overall common guy that's going to go in buy a WR250F per se um, something like that. It's more of the guy that's uh, a lot of KTM guys, uh, no doubt, um, and a lot of guys coming from other brands. We get a lot of Honda guys, the Yamaha guys, but overall, it's a it's a person who uh, enjoys riding off road. Obviously, we're an off road based company. Um, we we. Take our off-road bikes and turn them into race bikes for the hardcore guys, and then for everybody else, we build a motorcycle for them. That's kind of the thinking, Um, and that's that rideability term. That's where it comes from, is because the bike doesn't rip your arms off, or it's not um, twitchy when you ride it. You know, the handling is very stable, but yet it still turns. So our buyer really is a guy that. uh, it is uh, generally, I'd say, our average age buyer is forty-five to forty-eight years old. Um, that seems to be about the most, the average age if you put pick the middle. But like I said, I I get emails from guys that our cross trainer has kind of reinvented a few guys that haven't ridden for twenty years. They hey, I just bought a cross trainer, I love it. Thanks for building this bike. I'm seventy-one years old. I'm and I'm back on a dirt bike. You know, so we get. That really puts a smile on my face. I'll ask that customer to send me a picture or something on top of a mountain, so we can, you know, um, it's just it's really cool to see that, you know, because uh, it's it's a part of the business. But overall, it's it's the type of customers looking for a little bit higher quality, um, a real high quality level of service um, after the sale, and we have a great group of dealers. You know, we're growing our dealer market as we speak, and uh, just really. Trying to handpick these dealers so that they can take care of the customers whatever
0: they need. You know, something you said there really got me thinking. I'm I'm looking at your website right now and I'm counting about sixteen different models of off-road bikes. And that and that doesn't that doesn't count the the trials bikes. It's just I think it's about sixteen. I was just doing some quick math on that. And I'm going, Wow, for a company that you know, is, is a smaller company. They have decided to make a bike for everybody. That's one of the things that you said that got me noodling on that. And that's, that's the thing I love about these Austrian, the the European, the European uh, companies are not afraid to put out a bike model for every person. And Beta is doing that just as well as anyone else. And the thing that blows my mind is you're not making you know, a lot of these bikes, you're making maybe less bikes than some of these other companies out there, yet you've got this wide variety of different models. And I think that's why people like you guys is because you make a bike for just about everyone, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, we have a good broad range. You know, I mean, we have standard edition RRs, we have four versions of a two-stroke, and four versions of a four-stroke. You know, and, the, and as you see, I mean, uh, uh, you know, that everyone has its own personality. Yes. That's what's really neat about the bikes. I get guys email me all the time, hey, what size four-stroke's best for me? And I say, man, I'll tell you, I ask questions like, what was your last favorite four-stroke or your last favorite bike? You know, that's one. uh, What's your riding ability? You know, what have you. But ultimately, um, and we, we, we don't really have any deadbeat sellers either. You know, that's the thing. I mean, all the bikes sell pretty well. Um, that's what's amazing, I and mean, we have some that sell more than others. Obviously, the 300 market's big, the 500 and the 390 four-stroke market's big, and then the, the 200 market's growing like a weed. But ultimately, all the bikes sell really well. So it's, it's uh, you know it's, it's 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 not easy for us. But when you have uh, you know our dual sports, if you take our dual sport range, the RRS, you know it's available on a 350. 390 430 and a 500 yeah basically the same motorcycle as our race edition four strokes so that 390 that you rode kyle that 390 was was basically our rrs model was real close to that bike in 19 i mean it did have a single injector versus your race edition had a twin
0: Yeah, you know something that um, I've noticed big time with the betas is just the lower seat height, and I can't quite put my finger on it. But a lot of times, I feel like I'm riding a, a bike that is maybe seven eighths of the size of a lot of these others, like a Yamaha or a, or a KTM or, or or a Husky or something like this. What's what's the thought process behind that to make? Because to me, it does make the mo- it does make the bike more rideable. I can't tell you how many emails I get from people who say. I'm only five foot seven. I'm five foot eight. What do you think is the best bike for me? And I am, i immediately go into. I'm like, have you looked at Beta? Because you might be a lot more comfortable on this bike. So is that a has that been a design um, a purposeful design feature to have these bikes sit a, the seat heights be a little bit lower to the ground than some of the other bikes out there?
1: Yeah, overall it's it's three quarters of an inch to an inch and a quarter lower, depending on which model. Right in there when you're talking. Um, the bike just resting on its wheels and it, it's um, the sales feature as much as uh, overall handling it really attributes to how the bike handles uh, there's no doubt because um, we have tall guys that buy betas too right you know they put a tall seat foam on them and they you know ultimately but we the, the, the you know we give up about a half inch to three quarters of an inch of travel and, and uh, ground clearance but that's more than made up for the handling of the bike. Okay. Uh, well, but uh, ultimately the, the, you know, they're, they're a sub 37 inch seat height that I ran into it at my dealership too. I mean, we we had guys come in sitting on some of these other brands and it was like, you know, you get a, a five foot six guy who's a good rider and he climbs on a, on a bike and he's literally hanging off the thing. Yeah. You know, and I'm like, man, you're going to have a tough time. I mean, you get up in the hills and stuff you're going to have a tough time, but um, ultimately it's it's built into the overall design of the motorcycle and the balance and the feel and you know that's basically uh what they're what they're going after again that feeling that you get when you ride the
0: motorcycle yeah you know i I'm glad that you mentioned that about the 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 uh, little bit less ground clearance because there have been a couple times that I felt like I was hitting my foot pegs on things that I didn't think I was going to hit them on on other bikes but it's you say it's about three quarters of an inch or something like there down there on the, on the pegs.
1: Depending on model. Depending on model. model,
0: Yeah. So tell me about the BYOB program, because this is one thing that I think a lot of, I a lot of the true hardcore beta fans. And by the way, you guys, you guys are doing something right. Because if I say something on my channel, that is even, even partially a critical of a beta, I get the, I get beta lovers coming at me with pitchforks. I mean, it has, I have had, I won't say death threats, but I have had physical threats against me oh for if I say something that somebody, somebody might take is like, Hey, you're saying something bad about this. So the marketing and and the product has been, you've created a tribe and i think that is awesome that is one of my favorite things about it is i'm like oh here comes here comes a beta person just really ticked off at me because of something that i said but that is that is special that is really really special there's a lot of brand loyalty but on the beta side of things it seems like it's it's extra there's an extra commitment in there from, from the beta people. And one of the things that the beta people will constantly talk to me about is the BYOB p- program, the Build Your Own Beta program. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because no one else does this in the industry.
1: Well, basically, it's simple. The, the, the thinking was back in 2007 when I first started getting things going. You know, you go to a car dealership. That's the best way I could sum it up. Say you're going to go buy your wife a new SUV. You go to a car lot. They don't have this one model lined up 10-D. You know, they have generally 10 or 15 of them, and they all have different option packages. So that was really what the design started from, was where a guy can, uh, he or she can go and order the bike the way they want it. Um, There's some things we can't install and what have you because of EPA, but for the most part, um, the design was so that you can customize the bike. And uh, it's been a great program the guys that buy them love them and getting back to your earlier question talking about our customers our demographic that is an attribute to our customers uh uh, they are very loyal and very proud of beta and and that goes hand in hand uh, with all of our buyers and ultimately the bylb program is just something that we i put that together mainly because uh people want a customized bike they want something that they want and even if it's just hand guards a soft seat foam and a different skid plate it's still a bylb and it gets delivered to their dealer with all those goodies on it and uh we, we put a custom little name engraved name plate on the bike and it's quite special actually i mean it's really special um, when the bike i'm a big motorcyclist historian buff so i like the history of motorcycles and it's really, it'll be cool in, you know, in 30 years to see, oh, wow, this bike, this was my old bike. The name tag's still on it, you know, stuff like that. Yeah. And so it's, have a cool, it's just a cool program. It's, um, it's a smaller part of our overall business, but it's, it's not going anywhere. It's a good part of our business, and it's special. And, you know, um, I'm waiting for somebody to copy it, you know, <laughs> somebody's going to copy it, but that's okay. That's a, again, uh, it's, it's special. You know, on our side, it's a special little program.
0: Yeah, I love that. I think it, 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 this is like custom ordering a bike, and it's just uh, no one else does it. And you start clicking through some of the some of the options that you can add on there, and the options are endless. I was surprised when I actually dug through the website and started seeing all the different things that you could customize. You know, between forks and skid plates and. And, you know, seat covers and just everything in there. And it makes me kind of, I guess I kind of know why the other manufacturers don't do it is because it's a special order program. Um, And then you'd have this, you know, some, you're, you're trying to fill these orders, but at the same time, it's, it gives you, it gives you that customer loyalty because people are like, this bike was built for me. It was like hand built for me. And there's, there's some really, that's a really cool feeling. How, how long, do, how long does it take? Like on average, if somebody does a BYOB bike rather than just going to the dealer, um, is this like a six month process what, how long does it generally take?
1: No, it's 30 to 45 days after they do the order. Okay. So basically the, cause the bikes are built here, you know, we get the bikes, we pull them out of the crate, we, we put the options on, and we put it back in the crate, but it's generally, if the bike is available. Some, a lot of people ask, when are the 300 race editions going to be on BYLB? because we don't have them on there yet? And it's a great question, but the reason they're not on there is because we're still filling backlog dealer's orders for stock bikes. Okay. And we haven't been able to have enough production. It, there's no extra bikes right now of that model. So in that term, that, you know, we don't even have them available yet. But if they're all available and they're on BYLB, generally it's 30 to 45 days. Uh, my brother who's worked for me more than twenty years, um he handles all of the uh the BYLB man, man being the bikes, making sure the build is right and everything for the customer.
0: That's cool. And then one of the options is the low boy option. This was a press release that came out earlier this year was okay, our our bikes already have a little bit lower seat height, and then you can do the low boy kit, um, which drops the seat height another couple of inches. So now we're talking about a basically a factory, you know, uh, bike that maybe has a three inch lower seat height, which for some people is a total game changer and they don't have to go down to their suspension shop and have that done. I love that.
1: Yeah. That's just a simple feature where it's a stock spring rate, um, where we try to build them ahead of time through our, we have an in-house suspension department and basically we try to build them ahead of time. So you go to your dealer and you just order the bike and tell them you want a low boy with it. And ultimately, um, the bike will come two inches lower, and then we include the old parts, the stock fork spring because it's a custom fork spring, uh, and then the internal parts that we pull out. So these are parts we put inside the suspension, inside the shock and the forks, but they're included, so that way if you know the guy sells the bike or later down the road, they want to bring the bike back up to stock height, they can, but uh, just, again, another option for the
0: customer. Yeah. Something that I've been curious about that I've noticed in the last couple of betas that I have, and and this may sound like a little thing to you, but it's just something I'm really curious on. So on all the betas that I've had, or at least the two that I currently have, I know this is the case and the, and the 390 that I just gave back on my left hand, I have a Brembo clutch and on my right hand, I have a Nissan brake. Why 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 split the two? Is is that is that a purposeful? Oh, it has to be a purposeful, purposeful thing. But why not have Brembo on both or Nissan on both hands?
1: Well, in the beginning, back when we developed the enduro bike, they chose the factory chose Nissan brakes, and we use the same exact brakes to this day. They've worked so well as far as feel and reliability, everything. I mean, I can honestly tell you, we've had we have the same part number uh, for more than 10 years now. For 13, 14 years now, we've had the same part number for our brake components. Because uh, I think overall, the you know, KTMs have Brimbo, and that's their thing. And we have Nissan brakes. I mean, and Nissan obviously doesn't make a uh, hydraulic clutch cylinder. So that's why we use, uh, you know, the, the Brembo clutch cylinder. So ultimately, I think it's just the overall performance um, that the, our factory is happy with the performance of the brakes. I'm certainly happy with them. I mean, they're, they're just right. They, they feel good. It's the same system that's used on many of the Japanese bikes, and it's just bulletproof basically. So that's, that's the reason in a nutshell.
0: Well, that's cool. I, I like the fact that there there is something behind that. This is something that it's tradition, it's history. It's we've been doing it forever, and it's been working forever. So if it's not broken, why fix it?
1: So yeah, they haven't found anything better, you know, in their eyes, you know. So ultimately, they
0: just stick with that. You know, this may be an interesting question here because you've already um, kind of thrown me a loop. You defined your competition as yourselves. Um, So my question was, was going to be, what are the things that you think sets beta apart from the competition in, in your view? So let's pretend that let's pretend that you do have a competitor and they're not beta. (laughs) What are the things that you just in, in Tim's eyes, what sets beta apart from the competition? We've talked about a lot of things that the company does and, and things that they do well. But if you had to explain it in a nutshell, what sets beta apart from the other dirt bike manufacturers?
1: Uh, probably a couple things. One is our model range. We have models the others don't have, and we have a full range, as you know, including trials bikes, and that mixes with a two hundred and a cross trainer, which is thrown in there. So model range and model selection, and the most important thing we've already talked about, honestly, is the the ease the ease of riding. Uh, that's that's plain and simple. Uh, they're easier to ride than our competition. Very good. That's the, that's the, that's the, and so most of our bikes are sold through word of mouth. you know, the guy shows up at a, with a beta, his buddy, wow, you got a beta? Yeah, here, ride it. Cause I get emails all the time and I wrote a beta last week and I have to have one, <laughs> you know, and that's, that's, and that's a great, you know, great way to sell motorcycles for sure. You know, so ultimately, it's just it's the ease of riding that we get guys that will email and say, "Hey, I was a C rider. I bought a beta, and I quickly moved up to the B class. I feel so confident on the bike, it's easy to ride, and again, that's um and that wasn't made up by me, a marketing guy that was made up by our customers, the rideability thing like I said earlier well,
0: and another question we went over this uh, over an email thread back before we set up this podcast interview, and it has to do with kickstarts. Um, and so I, I kind of understand your, your view on this, but I, I know that the listeners would like to hear, hear this because I hear about it all the time via email and phone calls that I get. So as you know, basically the kickstarts, the backup kickstarters on pretty much all the bikes out there, and it isn't just exclusive to beta or being removed from everything. Now I get it in a, a motocross bike because you're always by the truck, but Beta is producing a bike that is an enduro bike, that is an off-road bike. That a lot of times you could be fifty miles from from nowhere. And when when and if I should say if and when things happen, because electrical components can fail, uh, one failed on me last week. It's nice to know that you've got a backup Kickstarter. So can you talk to our listeners about how those how the decisions are weighed out to remove the backup Kickstarter. Is this a weight thing? Is it a cost thing? Or just tell us how those decisions are made.
1: Well, it's 95% weight. Um, overall, you know, when our engineers are redesigning a new package, new chassis or engine or what have you, we're constantly trying to find ways to make the package smaller and lighter. And obviously, without in hurting reliability or anything. So, You know, you can shave hardware down, you can redesign a certain widget to make it a little lighter, but uh, the Kickstarter is heavy. The components of the Kickstarter are heavy. You can instantly shave almost two two pounds off the motor right away. And uh, we talked about this, but it's an old, you know, the old thing in the dirt bike industry is brochure weight. You know, what's the weight? It drives so many sales of weight. Um, he, even in the off-road business, it does, which in reality, the four-strokes, like our and Hound race bikes, you know, they weigh they weigh about six pounds more than the KTM. That's an advantage to us. You know, we got Joe Watson out there and Chance Fullerton and Zane Roberts out there and Morgan Tankey racing the and Hound. And on the big four-stroke, though, it's an advantage because they just plow through everything. They're super stable. But at the end of the day, the Kickstarter thing is weight. I'll tell you, I mean, the, the new engine on our four-strokes just came out this year in 2020 because it's an all-new engine. Uh, we moved the clutch up, and we moved the crankshaft back to get the mass more towards the center of the bike. And my boss called me and said, do we really need a Kickstarter on there? And I was like, yes, please put the ability to put a Kickstarter on there. Um, but And they did. I mean, a lot of manufacturers are shaving it off where you don't even have that option. Now, that scares me. Right. Um, And when we did this, um, we looked at Kickstart sales. Because, obviously, the only place you can buy a Kickstarter is through beta for the bike, a Kickstart kit. And we looked at this, and we sell, like I told you, we sell about 20% of the buyers buy a Kickstart kit. So that kind of tells us that, you know, it's um, that there's, eighty percent out there that didn't buy a Kickstarter kit, you know, and, and ultimately the majority it's not a not too big of a concern for them. For me, you know, like I told you I think our I think I said in the email, our grandparents were probably all mad when they took the crank off or our great grandparents when they took the crank off of a car, you know. But I think at the end of the day, I mean, if I had a you know, like on my four strokes I'd never run a Kickstarter. I've never even needed to pull the Kickstarter out, you know, on my on my e-start bikes. I know that it does happen, but ultimately I think um, if you ask most of the guys that have, is when we had kickstart bikes with electric start, uh, it was very rare the guy ever used a kickstart. So I think the, to answer your question, Kyle, it's, it's weight. It's being able to shave two, two and a half pounds off the brochure weight right away. Uh, production costs, yes and no. I mean, you know, these bikes, I mean, I think the bikes are, some guys say bikes are getting real expensive, but in my mind, it's like, man, price mountain bikes lately. I mean, huh. you know, uh, I mean, really, if you, if you really want to ask me who our competition is, it's, it's the side-by-side business and the e-bike sales. You know, those are the two that are taking dirt bike riders away, I feel. You know, because the side-by-side business, there's, you know, they have cup holders, they're easy to operate, they're bring the whole family along you know but for the motorcycles and the and the the, the, the overall usability of the bike I think we've just found that uh, it's not as big a concern as as we would think and that's why we offer it as an option you know so the guy that absolutely has to have a Kickstarter will even do it on Bylb um, and a lot of our Bylb guys we actually do put a Kickstarter kit on If I had to guess, it's probably six out of 10 of them because they're your more hardcore enthusiasts, you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I will admit that it is a smaller portion of the industry that is riding these bikes in the extreme locations that maybe where that does come into play. Um, And and I'll concede that point, but uh, those are people that are emailing me and we've been saved by kickstarts in the past. We've been in places where the bikes wouldn't start at the beginning of the day because it was too cold. And the, ki- and the uh, electric start would not turn the bike over that much. And then we've had to drag them behind trucks to get them to start. Um, but but uh, we won't belab- belabor that point. I thank you so much for the honesty and, and, uh, and just going over that because it, it is something I just wanted to clear the air with people. And I thank you greatly that you have continued to say, well, let's leave the option to the customer you know, because that way the customer can put it on. It, it, it's an after, well, it's not an aftermarket thing because it's, it's an OEM part, but they can get that part and they can put that on for those people. And I think that if you continue to do that, you will continue to have those loyal customers that go, look, I'm riding beta because I get options. I'm in control of, of what I have and the product that, is, that I'm riding. And I think that's a fantastic thing. So, yeah, and,
1: and to back up on that, Kyle, too, if we when we took it off the bike, years ago when we took it off if we would have sold 80 percent or 65 percent kickstarters we would have put it back on there i mean it, it sends a clear message that our customers want a kickstarter you know so there's it, that's the reason is we just really didn't sell that many overall which is if we sold several hundred don't get me wrong but out of several thousand motorcycles i mean you know that that it just told us that okay it's a it's a eighteen to twenty one percent ratio.
0: There. Well, I get that, and I thank you for being so transparent on that. That's that's uh, fantastic. So tell me tell me this one. What is your and this and this may be hard for you to hard for you to narrow it down. But what is your favorite bike? What's Tim's favorite bike in the Beta lineup, and why? That's
1: an easy question for me because even when I rode KTM's, it was always the big four strokes. Um, you know, I, I rode the six forty LC four back. In the late '90s, uh, mid mid '90s, and then I rode the 520 EXC when it came out in 2000, and rode and raced them. And then when I when I got involved with Beta, I rode the the, the bigger motors, which was the 525, the RFS engines. So our, our first two years, we had KTM engines in our bikes, and then we built our own bikes. Um, we had the 498, is what we called it. And I rode that, and today I ride a 480 race. I mean, it's a, to me, it's just um, I like the, the usability of the motor. Um, it's, it's very easy to ride. It's not explosive. And um, it's kind of a gentleman's dirt bike is what I call it. You know, if you get a little lazy and you come out of a corner and there's a big hill climb and you don't downshift, you're, you're going to be all right. You just turn the throttle and it just drags you up the hill. So, for me, it's it's definitely the 480 race edition or the 500 RRS. Anything with that 500 motor in it is my favorite.
0: Love it. So, is the is the motor, the 480, uh, is that an actual different motor than the 500, or do they use mostly the same components?
1: It's the same motor. Same motor. We call it a It's the same exact engine. We call it a 500 in the dual sport just so it has its own little um, definition, its own little you know in the dual sport world, it's a 500 RRS.
0: what what is the um, actual displacement of that motor then
1: 478
0: <laughs> <470cc>. <laughs> so 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 let me get this straight it's a 478 cc motor but it's marketed as a 480 and a 500 just depending on which frame you put it in
1: correct <laughs> correct oh been going on for years no matter what brand you know i mean the 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 um just depends on the on the company
0: <laughs> yeah that is that is awesome. And then obviously with different with different heads and maybe different pistons and things like that, you can totally change the characteristics of that motor I, I assume that the 480 um, has has a little different feel to it than, than the 500 right as far as how the power no. characteristic
1: No, it's the same same injection system for 2020 like I was saying it's the same injection system, the same motor. they come off the same assembly line. There okay. really is the frame is the same everything's the same um it's just our our dual sports are and i tell my dealers this i tell customers that ask us our dual sports are what dirt bike guys asked for many years ago they are a full-blown dirt bike dirt slash race bike with a plate
0: i was just going to say they've got different forks though they've got different suspension components but the other things are all they all are the same is that what you're saying
1: the forks are the only difference as far as suspension, the swing arm rear shock, everything's the same on the RRS. There's everything's identical. The, the race edition has wider foot pegs. It has the aluminum billet foot pegs on it. It's got different graphics and seat. It has the close cartridge fork. Um, it comes, um, and it has a few bling items on it and a dual material rear sprocket. Other than that, it's the same motorcycle. Uh-huh. Um, and ultimately, uh, but they're horrible on the street, what I was saying. I mean, I get a guy, you know, I'll get people email me, hey, I really want to have a beta. They're a cool bike. You know, I rode motocross 15 years ago, and I want a bike to ride back and forth to work on 40 miles each way. <laughs> I say, don't buy an RRS. I mean, just don't. don't. Do it. It'll be miserable. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's a dirt bike. It's a dirt bike with a plate to connect trails, and you don't get harassed. And we, we pay the big homologation fees every year to make sure we pass all the homologation. And, you know, so it's, it's but it's the difference between the 480, uh, the engines are exactly the same.
0: That is so cool. And I, lo- I love that uh, that uh, transparency there. That's when you say this, this bike doesn't go great on the street because it's a dirt bike. It happens to be a dirt bike with a plate. It's, got, it's street legal so that you can connect these trails, but don't expect this to be a commuter. I tell that to people all the time. I'm like, look, if you have a tire that is approved, like a DOT tire that's approved to go on the, on the street, it's a nightmare on the dirt and and you're, right. you're unsafe, you know? So there's only so many compromises you can make. And I love the fact that you just admit that, like, look, this is a dirt bike, a racing dirt bike that has mirrors and has signal lights, but let's not excuse, let's not, you know, confuse this with a commuter bike, a street bike,
1: right? And in this industry, Kyle, you can't have it all. I mean, it, you know, you take the new Honda, the 450L that came out, and it's more streetable. You know, I mean, it, it is. It's got a cush drive rear hub, I believe. It's got it has features on it that make it a little bit easier when you hit the pavement. I mean, we've all been there. You you pop off the trail on your dirt bike, and you got to go down the road for six miles. It's miserable. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it, it rattles your teeth out because the tires aren't balanced, and you know. Um, but it's no, they they were designed as basically trail connector dirt bikes. That's what they are.
0: Yeah. So shifting gears here a little bit, uh, why why make the decision for oil injection on some of the two strokes, um, specifically the RRs, but keep the oil injection off of the race bikes? I, I guess I kind of understand why you keep it off the race race bikes, but why have why kind of split it down the middle where you have a carburetor on all the two strokes? But some of them have oil injection. What, what's the thought process there?
1: Well, to one, to differentiate the models, uh, to, to create a separation, so you have a couple different buyers. Um, the, the oil injection is designed to be uh, user friendly, uh, ease of use. A guy that's trail riding doesn't want to deal with mixing his gas, his or her gas. Um, the race editions, again, weight. Um, it shaves weight off the bike. Uh, racers don't care about mixing their gas. They don't mind it. They've been doing it for years. Um, they generally uh, do, do, you know, uh, they've done it for so many years on their other bikes, it's not anything. but mostly weight. Um, we did we did add all the components in the race edition. Uh, now we have all the components in there so you can add the oil injection, but we get very few people that add oil injection to their race bike, to their race, race edition bike a few BYOB guys every now and then and some guys go through their dealer and order the kit because we make a kit if you want to add it to a race edition. But all in all, it's to differentiate the two different models. You know, they're two different uh, models. One one wants to go a little bit faster all the time, which is a race edition with a closed cartridge fork. And the other one is a casual trail riding bike for that person that, you know, likes to plunk along and, and uh, or rip along a single track and doesn't want to deal with mixing their oil and gas, you know, some of these guys are really enjoying it. because They can go on long rides and pull up to the gas station and fill their tanks up. So that's really a benefit there.
0: That is certainly a benefit um, to be able to just use pump gas. Another two-stroke question. uh, What is Beta's uh, stance on the movement to fuel injection? I know that uh, KTM is doing this for emission standards in Europe. Um, Is Beta working on its own version, or are you sticking with the carburetors, do these same Euro 4 and Euro 5 standards, emission standards, do they, are they uh, applicable to beta, or how does this shake out?
1: Well, that's a good question. I think, um, first of all, I don't know the answer as far as when we are coming out with injection, because I on by purpose, I tell my boss, don't give me too much information. That way, if it leaks out, it wasn't from me. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I mean, I do pre-order our bikes early for the next model year. So basically, we have to order bikes, um, gosh, in in October, November to get them for the following year, that soon, because it takes that long to get components. But I don't know. Um, I'm sure we're working on some some fuel-injected two-strokes. I don't know when it's coming. Um, Kind of a surprise to me. Again, this industry always throws you for a loop. But apparently, having a counterbalancer and a carburetor is really a cool thing nowadays. (laughs) Because, I mean, when we released our bikes, we were overwhelmed with people sending us emails thanking us for having a carburetor counterbalance two-stroke. I was like, right on. You know, (laughs) that's great. I I did not know that that's what a lot of people wanted. Is it coming? For sure it is. I mean, it's coming. Um, Beta tends to be a little bit more conservative. They won't. They'll sit back. Again, getting back to that family-owned company. Or we don't have to rush products. They might wait till the system's out there, or whoever's working on fuel injection, where the the companies get a little better at it, and then they'll jump in and decide what, when, and where. But it could be next year. It could be three years from now. I, I honestly don't know, Kyle. Uh, I kind of focus on what we've got now, and and uh, I think it's definitely coming. It um, you know it's, I, I'm an old cool guy i love carburetors (laughs) but i do i do have to admit when you ride a carbureted four stroke next to a back-to-back with a fuel injected and i'm sure you see this it's a night and day difference on the performance overall you know that the efi just performs better everywhere yeah on the two stroke it's a little different because the two stroke um isn't as lazy of an engine as a four stroke so to speak so the two stroke i don't i don't know if i mean our we have the best carburetor in the business on our bikes and we, and we ultimately um, take pride in our jetty because our engineers work very hard at that. So ultimately, I, I don't I don't know. I, I, I don't know the answer because I'm not 100% sure what... I, I would bet money that the owner of Beta doesn't know when we're going to release it yet. Waiting to make sure that, that it's right, you know.
0: Yeah. Well, it's interesting. And I think it's a, I think right now, if you can hold off a VFI, I think that's a, a selling feature. There's all, so this, this industry is kind of a niche and then it's in a niche within a niche. I have people that are telling me they are purposely now finally buying a two-stroke bike because it's fuel injected. And then I have this other crowd of people that are telling me they're never going to buy a fuel injected two-stroke you know and and so and i i take that with a grain of salt cuz my my reply to them at least internally inside my mind is i go be careful saying that because i think if you stay in this industry very long you will be forced to buy an a, you know a fuel injected two stroke because there won't be another option but in this little gray area here this time i think beta is probably smart to just sit here and let Some of these other developers, some of these other manufacturers, go through those growing pains and stay with what is tried and true. The only the only problem with the with the carburetors that I see on a two stroke is most of the riders out there buy the bikes and they're not even checking tire pressure. And so if they happen to live in an area or at an elevation or a density altitude, I should say, where that carburetor is tuned, then it works fine. Problem is, they might live at five thousand feet or six thousand feet. And now that bike is never, they're never going to unlock the true potential of that bike because they're not even checking tire pressure. So they're not pulling jets out. They're not dropping the needle clip position or trying a different needle. And that's where the beauty of EFI comes in is, yeah, it adds some some complexity and some weight, but it's just like the four strokes. It's now going to run near perfect all the time, you know, but, but beta is in a unique position here where, you know, you can stay with the carburetor. And I think. I if I was Beta, I'd probably stick with the carburetor as long as I could.
1: Well, and and like I said, that's probably the case with us. I think uh um, a lot of our shops in higher elevation Colorado and Wyoming and you know, a lot of the uh, in Idaho, a lot of the shops will when they set the bike up for the customer if, if he or she's a local rider, they'll set it up with the right jetty. Oh, the owners' manuals come with a jetting chart in them. And it's very detailed. If you're this temperature range and this altitude range, put these jets in the bike. Yeah. And ultimately I think a lot of our dealers are setting the bikes up that way for the customers. Because, you know, occasionally you get the guy, well, I want EFI because I go from sea level to ten thousand feet. Okay, that's 001 percent of the guys out there. Right. That's the part for guy. So the average rider doesn't do that. He or she buys the bike and rides in their riding area within their area. That's what they do. And we get a lot of guys, hey, I live in Colorado. I'm going to Baja. Oh, here's, here's the jetty you want to run type of thing. But I think overall for us, um, two strokes, as you know, a lot of guys ride two strokes, one, because of their lightweight, but two, because their simplicity. Yes. And they can work on themselves. And I think the guys that are yelling at you about never buying a fuel injection those are the guys, I think, that they want the simplicity of a carburetor, you know. And and, and I get it. I mean, as an old mechanic, I rode my 2015 for two years because I didn't want to jump into a EFI four-stroke. <laughs> you know, but then, but then once I did, I, you know, I, I rode them, like I said, back-to-back for at great length. I was like, oh, my gosh, man, I've been missing out. You know, four-stroke carbureted bikes are just, they're lazy. They're so much lazy.
0: Yeah. This is, this is maybe my, this is maybe my favorite question. The one that I'm interested in the very most to hear your perspective on. And, uh, and of course you, you may have to answer this in a, in a political way with your position, but I still want to hear what your reasoning is. So here's the question. Is the arrow pointing up or down for the dirt bike industry as a whole? And tell us why you think it is
1: or beta, or just the industry as a whole?
0: Yeah, the industry. So this isn't a beta-specific question. This is a dirt bike industry as far as moto and off-road and all of these things. So is the dirt bike industry as a global, you know, uh, thing, is that is the arrow pointing up or down on that?
1: You know, it's in the middle. It's flat. So the, 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 it's not it's not dive bombing like some of the other markets, and it's not skyrocketing like like say the adventure market's taken off, and the sport bike market's kind of slowing up. It's a pretty flat, solid market. Um, I think, like I said earlier, our biggest competitors that would affect this our industry, the, the industry that we love, is the side by sides uh, first and foremost. Um, you know, because hey, when I when I had my when I had my motorcycle shop, I was a Yamaha dealer. You'd get families coming in and. They have two kids, the wife, the husband, and they're buying four bikes and then all the riding gear. And then they got to buy a trailer because their pickup truck can't hold four motorcycles. And, you know, that can be tough. So now many of them are going down and buying a four-seater side-by-side and four helmets and calling it good. The, The sad part, the tragedy of that is besides taking the sales away from the motorcycle Business. It doesn't take it from the motorcycle dealers per se, but in my mind, the tragedy is is they will never experience the feeling of a motorcycle ride, and that, as you know, and all of your listeners know, it's very special and very unique. And I think to myself, man, you're never going to experience that because a side by side does not give you that thrill, you know, and and. So I, I, I encourage so many young kids to, to ride dirt bikes. When they come out to my ranch, I my daughters, uh, I have a wife and four kids, and my my two youngest daughters are 15 and 16. Their friends come out. Have you ever ridden a dirt bike? No. Get your parents on the phone. I want to see if they can. Oh yeah, that, yeah, they can ride. Okay, go out there and they'll they'll ride all day long, because it's just you know as you know growing up, it's just something that you you never experience. So the side-by-side business is kind of taking that away. It's not necessarily a, a negative comment towards side-by-sides. I mean, I get it. They're making some pretty aggressive side-by-sides out there. I used to sell them as a Polaris dealer when the Razor came out. But all in all, the motorcycle off-road, that, that buyer, he's still there. They're still out there buying bikes because the race entries are still healthy. You know, you go to the races these days, the entries are pretty solid still. They're, they're not decolent. And our, you know overall, if you take all the off-road sales across the board in the U.S., they're pretty stable. They're not, like I said, they're not dive bombing. And I think oh, all in all, uh, and and then you have the also you have those guys where the when the industry boomed back in the late '90s, all the way through 2005 and six, there was a lot of young kids racing motocross back then, Kyle. And now those guys have children, and they're taking them out and and taking them riding you know so we have that those those folks are coming up behind us as well but honestly the 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 dirt bike industry as a whole i don't think it's pointing up or down i think it's stable right now
0: that's that's good and i'm actually really glad to hear you say that because i hear so many other people talking about how the sky is falling but i haven't into that. I don't have industry reports, but my my gut feeling says, I'm just looking at the emails coming into me. And I get these emails from guys who are telling me, okay, I'm 30, 40, 50, and sometimes even 60. And they're saying, I'm now just finally getting into dirt bikes. And thank you for helping me and tell me some of these other things that I should do. And I'm going, okay, a lot of guys are worried that the younger kids are not getting into dirt bikes. And that may be true in some cases because they're stuck playing video games. But then there's this other demographic of these people who now have a little bit of disposable income and now are getting into it. And that was me. I didn't own a dirt bike until I was just about 30. And I came into this sport and it has literally taken over my life. The reason we're having this conversation is because dirt bikes got into my blood and I couldn't get it out. And now this is what I'm doing full time. And there's a lot of guys like me out there. And so to hear your, you know, your, your take on that, I love to hear, to hear that. Obviously we we want it to grow, but I'll take, I'll take it being flat rather than what some of these other people think, which is that the arrow is pointed down. And I think you've got a, a a decent insight on that. I hadn't even thought about the side-by-sides, but that makes a lot of sense. I I think side-by-sides are, well, I won't tell you what I think. Um, email me, <laughs> email me, and yeah, I'll tell right. you. Yeah, um, right. I know. I know. I, I'm, I'm there with you. I have some really strong feelings about that, but I don't want to alienate or or put anyone in shame or anything. So that's that's really cool. Uh, a side note, just kind of in closing, because um, uh, and I really appreciate your time. I, I've probably taken too much of it, but as we as we kind of wrap up here, electric bikes. So you mentioned that e-bikes are are a competitor along with the side-by-sides, but electric dirt bikes. I'm talking about like an electric dirt bike. I, we've seen a couple of them, like uh, the Alta, and maybe it was you know Redshift or whatever in the motocross thing. Are electric bikes a real thing? Do you think that this is going to take off? Is it viable?
1: Well, you know, that's going to be up to the consumer. I mean, ultimately, the Alta deal, uh, we were actually one of the companies that looked at purchasing Alta when they, when they went, uh, they, they shut their doors down because 'cause they're just up the road from us a couple three hours. And we took a hard look at it. I mean, we, we looked at everything. We came back with the assumption that good bike, but you gotta sell it for sixteen thousand dollars to make a living. And and ultimately puts you out of the market. I think right now for, for kids bikes, like we have a couple small trials bikes and Offset has some little kids electric bikes and we like say we have Two models of electric trial bikes, and we have a little beginner mini cross. Um, it's basically just a play bike that's electric. So they're great for that because kids can ride in the backyard. They can tool around on them. They can they can ride in a very small area and not offend anybody. But I don't know. If you, have you ridden an electric? Have you ridden an Alta or any of the other?
0: No, I haven't. I haven't had the opportunity. I have two concerns with them. First is just the battery life i i need the battery to be able to work solidly for somewhere between 4 to 6 hours and i think most of them are you know 1 to 2 and so it would really limit the riding we do and then the other major concern that i have is the clutch now they will say well we don't need a clutch because our bike makes full torque at zero uh, you know 1 rpm and i say well the clutch isn't all all about just it's it's about modulating the power to the ground and so even if even if you know beta made an electric bike for me tomorrow, I would want it to have a clutch so that I can still do a double blip or something, you know, these, these types of maneuvers where I want to control the power in two different ways, you know, by modulating the power with my clutch and, and blipping over a rock or a log. So those two things, if I could get a battery that would last for six hours, that was hot swappable when I got back to the truck and I could swap it in maybe less than a minute or two, and then having a clutch. And if those two things were worked out, I think it might it might be fine.
1: Well, my, my take on them is, again, getting back, I'm a motorhead. I'm a gearhead. I love wrenching just as much as I do riding, believe it or not. My experience with riding the bike is motorcycling gives you, let's just say, six, it stimulates like six different senses. You know, from the vibration, the sound, when you twist the throttle, all these things. When you ride an electric bike, it kills about three or four of those senses. Yeah. It takes them away, and it's not the same. I don't care who you talk to. It is not the same. When you rev an engine up to get up a hill or when you it, – it, the electric world is different. Is there a place for them? You bet there is. As far as performance-based motorcycles, I don't think that's their place. I think their place is little commuters around town. Um, obviously some of the Japanese are dabbling with 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 soup you know, Kawasaki just announced they're dabbling with a sport bike with electric motor. Harley's got their live wire. That's that's a different market. As far as performance based off road motorcycles, you lose some of the senses of, of true off road motorcycling. So in my eyes is is it it's viable, it's, it's coming. Uh, there's gonna be one of the hard Core manufacturers is really going to make a, a big push because KTM's done a little bit, but not not much. But it's not it's not going to be to the guys that are buying our bikes or buying you know I don't think overall maybe a very small percentage of those guys. I tell everybody there's many of these guys that want an electric bike and they've never ridden one like an Alta because that was the Alta Redshift was the the most competitive viable. Um, bike that they, they tried really hard I give it I give that to them they, they tried really hard but again the bike had to be 16 seventeen thousand or maybe even a little more to be profitable and I tell those guys that want electric bike you need to go ride one of those things because it's just not the same if you're a hardcore off-road rider um, like the people in our industry are that the bike doesn't when you get off of it it doesn't give you that feeling. Like that feeling you got riding our three ninety, you would never have that with an electric bike. You know, and that's that's the only the only bummer side of the E business. But I think all in all it's coming. But at what I mean obviously if 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 it was super viable right now everybody would be doing it. Yeah. Because it's certainly, you know, eighty percent of our development is in the engine on our bikes. Eighty percent of the cost than the engine, you know, 70, 70 to 80%. So an electric engine, to put a bike there, I'm not saying it's easier, but it's, you know, it's definitely not like designing a special engine. So it just depends on the, I think there's, the product, the, the, the use of that model is going to be the big thing. I think for certain uses, it's going to be great. If you want something to run around town and do, it's going to be fantastic. You know, get more people on dirt bikes. You know, I mean, like, Yamaha has their little PW50. If they put an electric motor in that little bike, they would continue to sell that bike even more so because it'd be so user-friendly. Yeah. The parent could literally lean the thing over in the back of their car, and they don't have to bring a gas can. Yeah, And it could maybe have a battery pack that's changed out, like you said, a minute or two. And, but right now, in the off-road, the, the bikes we're talking about, you and I right here, I, I don't see it. Um... Uh, definitely not the 10,000 but yeah you know the
0: technology stuff there. Yeah, for sure. Well, Tim, this has been I have thoroughly enjoyed this. I, I took a bunch of notes as you were talking. I tried not to type too loud so it picked up on my microphone, but it was it was an absolute pleasure. I learned a ton of things and I know that uh, the listeners out there are going to just really love the the, ins, the you know, the peek behind the curtain. It's not every day that we get to talk to you know, the president of any of these, you know, companies, the president of Beta USA here on the podcast. It's been an absolute pleasure. And uh I just wanted to thank you guys for doing what you're doing and sticking to your sticking to your roots and figuring, you know, being true to who you are. You've been fantastic to work with. There's only been one other company that ever let me borrow a bike and that was Husky. Um the other the other brands haven't uh felt like that that was needed. And the other thing that I liked about it was the fact that um, you weren't controlling what I was saying about the bikes. I, I had a guy yesterday uh, say, oh, well, now we finally get a real review of, of a beta because now you finally bought one. And I said, no, 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 no. That's not, how this, th- that's not how this worked. I told beta, I told Tim that I was going to say what I was going to say about the bike. Um, and if he if he didn't like about it, we could have a conversation about it. But I wasn't going to go redo the video and if i did redo any video i would tell the listener you know this is what beta wants me to say and you told me something that has stuck with me you said i'm not here to influence what you say i just wanted to educate you on on my perspective but i'm not here to you know uh, you know object or change your review and that has stuck with me for 3 years and it has uh, given me confidence in what you guys are doing you're confident that the bike is good enough Um, And I think that the best thing about it is it gives you that goodwill because I've been able to say to people, hey, look, Beta is a great company and they stepped up to the plate. They basically lent me this bike for two or three months or or whatever. And then we turn around, we sell that. I mean, I give it back to the dealer. The dealer sells it as a used model. No one loses in in that scenario you get some, you get a little bit of, uh, you know, exposure from my channel. I get to use the bike without having to take a loss on it. The dealer turns around and sells it as a used bike to the customer and it ends up being a win-win for everyone. And, and that's because you've had, um, the, the great business sense and just the, you know, the nice guy attitude to let me do that. And so I wanted to thank you for that.
1: Well, likewise, Kyle, I think what you're doing is fantastic. I mean, I, I've seen your, your dirt bike channel grow and, um, overall I have to compliment you especially I just hear are you know you just told me you start riding when you're 30 which is awesome I mean you're going to be riding until you're 90 <laughs> indeed, you know um, but ultimately I, I really want to thank you for uh giving us you know giving me some air time I know you have a lot of good listeners and and especially your raw your raw press is what is what I call it, what you are doing it's, it's raw and it's real and Even with the magazines, I mean, I have relationships with all those guys. I've known them for years. You know, a lot of the guys out there will say that. Things like, oh, well, you advertise in the magazine, they're going to say good things about your bike. That is not true. (laughs) I mean, I can tell you, first and foremost, I mean, those are two different things that are kept separate, and they'll say things about your bike, and, and, you know, the only time I get my feathers ruffled is if somebody says something on a bike that I've never heard of i had one editor tell me like for when we came out with a cross trainer you could never race this motorcycle (laughs) about a cross and boy i just flew off the handle i'm like i mean i wanted to go race the king of motos on one just to prove i mean i couldn't believe somebody would say that right of course you can race a cross trainer i mean you may not be able to race it at a pro level but a seat rider would go out and have a wonderful time racing absolutely But I really appreciate your time, what you're doing. It's great. And just keep doing what you're doing, you know?
0: Yeah. Well, I'll keep what, doing what I'm doing. You keep doing what you're doing. And that is going to be a good combination. I can't wait to start riding. A, and when the, when the new year hits, I'm going to start breaking out the 300, uh, RR and, and just trying that one. And I am, in the meantime, I'm loving this 200 and, uh, I hope you sell a boatload of those things because it's, it's a great bike. So, thanks awesome. so much for thanks or so much for the. Oh, sorry, thanks so much for the time, and uh, we'll uh, keep in touch over
1: email. Okay, have a good evening, right. Kyle. Thank you. You
0: too. Bye. So that was Tim Pilge, president of Beta USA. I just hung up the phone with him. That was freaking awesome. I loved that interview. Um, it's just so cool to hear the things kind of behind the scenes with those guys. Uh, not. I mean, who else is going to make themselves available for this fledgling podcast here? So beta is a cool company. And uh, I think we've kind of gone over that. If you like these podcasts, please leave me a review on iTunes, Stitcher or Google play or uh, Spotify, wherever you are, give me a rating, give me a review, tell your friends about it. And, um, that's, uh, I'm going to get, I'm going to let you guys go with that. Remember, But wherever you go, make sure to leave a single track. Thanks guys.